0: 12 so just a quick review kind of where we've been because the story shifts a little the tone shifts a little really kind of starting last week with what we looked at last week when Jesus rebukes the crowd which is the first time we've seen him do that Jesus is not impressed when lots of people show up Jesus does not have that human thing uh, that human need for acceptance and adoration Um, and he doesn't equate large crowds with success he sort of does the opposite and so he last week you see him rebuking the crowd the crowd shows up and like well jesus this is great what a great great attendance and he goes huh and he blasts them right and then this now we see a a further change where jesus is going to begin to be in this kind of back and forth contention with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, okay? And we're going to see this build and build and build all the way and culminating with the cross, with his murder, okay? Um, So this is where this begins and his tone changes. So Matthew 12, we'll read the first eight verses first. He says, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees pick a fight with Jesus. They, and, and they make the mistake of going after his disciples. <laughs> right? Right? And so Jesus says, oh, you want to do this now? We'll do this now. And he begins to, he argues with them and gives several arguments. Interestingly enough, there is actually no prohibition in the Mosaic Law against picking a grain of wheat and feeding yourself on the Sabbath. Like there's actually not, they didn't actually break God's laws in doing this. But Jesus doesn't make that point because he has a bigger point to make. Because what the Pharisees had done is they had created their own set of laws in addition to God's law out of probably at least originally a genuine respect for God's law. It's like if you've got a fence, which is a boundary, and you're like, I'm so worried about crossing that fence because if I cross that fence I could die. Let's build another fence outside that fence to keep us to make sure that we don't touch the real fence. And then the fake fence the man-made fence is those additional laws and that's the law that the disciples have broken not god's law it's man's law but jesus sets all that aside to make a greater point jesus points out a time when david disobeyed an actual law by going into the temple and eating the bread and yet god does not condemn him for it if you remember when we went through first and second samuel feels like forever ago you'll remember that story David understood the heart and purpose of the law, and and he was king. So he was able to do what he did, and God didn't condemn him for it. In addition, Jesus gives another example. The priests violate the Sabbath by doing their work on that holy day so that others can partake in the Sabbath. So in the temple, you see the priests doing work on the Sabbath so that everyone else can enjoy the Sabbath. And he says they actually are... Doing the opposite of Sabbath rest, yet God, that's the right thing for them to do. It's a holy thing, and it's an honor to do it. So if Jesus, let's do kingdom math, right? If Jesus is greater than David, and Jesus is greater than the temple and all its priests, then he can allow his disciples to do whatever they please. Hence, Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I made this rule. (laughs) This is my thing. The Sabbath is my thing. I can do what I want with it. At the end of the day, that's the biggest point, right? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I can do what I want. Jesus is doing more here than just defending his disciples. Jesus is showing the Pharisees that they have not properly understood the law that they so zealously defend. Here's these religious guys with their noses stuck up in the air, criticizing the creator of the universe the maker of the law, the one who holds the expectations himself, the only one who matters, the Lord of all, of everything. And they're criticizing him for doing something that he didn't even forbid. And he says, you have missed the point. You have completely missed the point of what God is after with the law. They had totally missed it all. He makes it clear in verse 7. Maybe that was confusing to you in verse 7 where he gives a key quote. He says, and if you had known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What is he quoting? He's quoting Hosea 6.6, 6, which says this, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You can also see Micah 6.68, Isaiah 58, the whole chapter. Same point. Jesus' point is that God is not interested in the sacrifices and ordinances so much as he is interested in what they point to and represent. He wants your obedience. So if he says something, gives you something to do, you do it, you do it exactly. Number one. But also, what do those things represent? He's after things like humility, mercy, love, justice, true worship, trust, and devotion. And the Pharisees had none of these things. They had the the form of worship that God had given them, and then they had added all this other stuff of their own on top of it, and they were walking around pretending like that was what God really wanted. God really wants you to be miserable and following all the rules. That's what He's after. But in their hearts, what did Jesus call them? He called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're painted, and you're clean and neat and pretty, but on the inside, it's just full of dead men's bones. There's just death and rottenness in your core, and they were pretending like that's all that God wanted. And then condemning other people for not being as good at following those rules as they were, the rules they made up. Does that feel familiar? Ever met somebody like that? Are you one of those people? In this specific case, the Pharisees had lacked mercy. They had looked at the disciples, these hungry disciples who were out busy working for Jesus, following Jesus, ministering to people, preaching to the people, healing people. And all they could do is criticize them for plucking a little piece of grain to give themselves a snack as they went along their way. They lacked mercy. And Jesus is going, what's wrong with you? Jesus is going to go on in the next verse to demonstrate to them their lack of mercy coupled with their legalism. Look at what happens next, verses 9 to 14. He says, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. So they set him up. He said, hey, here's this guy with a messed up hand. You going to heal him on the Sabbath? Verse 11, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. A Total lack of mercy. They turned this guy with a messed up hand, probably from birth, into a tool to be used to trap Jesus. They didn't care about him one bit. In fact, they were implying that it would be wrong to comfort him and heal him and rescue him because it's on God's Sabbath day. It's an unbelievable lack of mercy coupled with this gross legalism that God does, <laughs> acting like it was God's idea to not heal the man. Instead of rejoicing in the alleviation of the man's suffering, they are angry that Jesus quote-unquote worked on the Sabbath and began to plot against him. This was always their problem with Jesus and he didn't follow their rules that they had set up as a form, a fake, empty form of godliness. This is what Jesus meant. When he said to them, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not your form of religion that's empty and meaningless on the inside where your heart is not turned to God, your heart is not submitted to him. God is not Lord over you. He's not your king. You're just pretending to gather power and notoriety and position and fake authority over other people. And you want to put this burden on them because you feel like, well, now you have to live up to my standard. And you call it God's standard. It's gross. But isn't it familiar? Don't you see that in your own heart? That little, that desire to kind of just add a little something to the grace of God. To add, to, to, to not be so concerned about mercy and humility and justice and love and all of those things. And instead to say, well, if you do these things, if you wear these clothes, if you talk this way, if you go to the right church attend services often enough and you use the right lingo because we have lingo. We have words we use that nobody else uses and it it feels good. Come on, if you know the words and even if you don't know what they mean, you can just throw them around in a sentence. You know, it feels good. You feel sort of like, you know, I know something you don't. And then those who look confused, when you use those words, you feel maybe a little better about yourself. It's in all of our hearts. There's a little Pharisee looking to take over in your heart. Let me out. I want to be in charge. It's so gross. Jesus says, I'm not after those things, I'm after what they represent. So, Lynn, let's take a quick look at the meaning of the Sabbath so that we don't make the same mistake as the Pharisees did, all right? In the notes, I've put a series of scriptures. I just wanted to show the history of the command to, for the Sabbath and how, how it goes back to Genesis. I'm not going to read all of those. I'm just going to do one, which is Ezekiel 20, 19, 19 through 21, which kind of encapsulates the whole thing. It says, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you. Okay, so. It's, The so that should be a signal to you, this is what what it's for, okay? So that it may be a sign to me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me that did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. So the Sabbath, fundamentally, the core of it is so that we may know that He is the Lord, our God. So not only was keeping the Sabbath a commandment, but the purpose of the Sabbath was the God, that God was reminding His people that He is the Lord, meaning He's the boss, He's in charge. He's the boss of bosses, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. He's their source and their provision. They are not independent of Him. Their provision and future does not belong to them, but it belongs to God. So what happens is, You have this great example of manna in the desert where God would feed the Israelites in the desert every day with this bread-like stuff from heaven. And every day they'd get up and there'd be manna on the ground, like just, like, it's like the first fast food, the first McDonald's. You just walk outside, pick it up, and eat it, like, fast. But on the Sabbath, they were allowed to get, before the Sabbath, there was extra. They were allowed to keep extra. But every other day, if they tried to store any, for the next day, it would rot. So they only ever had enough food for every day, hand to mouth, by God's command. Then the Sabbath comes, and they're allowed to store enough for the next day. But when the Sabbath is over, it rots. They're back to hand and mouth. So every Sabbath, they're not allowed to gather for themselves. They just use what they stored, what God had provided before. The point of all of that, the way re- think, like, why would God set up such a system of total dependence on him? <laughs> Where even my rest is commanded by him and is, is reinforces or confronts my need to be in control and independent of him. Think about what happens in your soul when you actually rest and don't work. Especially those of you Unlike me, who were very goal-oriented, and you, you like to work, and you work hard, and not working makes you feel a little bit like you're free-falling off a cliff. What's going to happen if I don't get paid for today, if, I don't, if I'm unproductive? What does it do? What it confronts in you is your need to be independent and in control of your own provision, rest does something more than just rejuvenate your soul it confronts you right it reminds you that god is your god he is your lord and he is your provider not you you ever gotten fired from a job especially when you have responsibilities and when you're like in high school it didn't count just go home and nothing changes. You just don't have spending money, right? I'm talking about like when you had responsibilities and you got laid off. It's happened to me lots of times. This job I have right now is, is the longest running, my longest run ever, all right? I was not good at keeping jobs. I don't know what that says about my character. I blame it on God, but it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? What's the feeling? The feeling is I have all, what am I going to do? I was in control yesterday of my provision. Now I'm not, and I'm falling off a cliff, and all these people depend on me. What am I going to do? What does that tell you? Your heart got all messed up, and you didn't know it. You started thinking that the person who signs your paycheck is your provider. And they aren't. It's God. That's Sabbath. That's the core of what Sabbath is about. It's not about just, you know, having this rule of every week I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not allowed to pick wheat, I'm going to do this. And, and, and then all the while you're still trying to figure out a way to maintain and control of your life and independent from God. So we don't treat the Sabbath in the same way as it did in the Old Testament, I don't believe. Jesus is our rest, he is with us, Jesus, we talk, read that last week, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you're with Jesus, you're in permanent Sabbath in a sense. Leaning on him, dependent on him. The principle, though, remains. Keeping regular rhythms of rest, I think, is essential. I think that's wise. I'm not trying to make a law here. Like if you didn't take a day off this week, God's going to smite you. I don't think that's the deal. <laughs> but this rhythm of willingness to command your soul and your body and your mind to stop and be quiet and rest and not work for your own gain and not seek to provide for yourself and instead to remind yourself and take charge over your own heart that just desperately wants to be its own boss and you tell it to be quiet and submit to the rest of Jesus. That's the Sabbath. It's a forced reminder that you are not your own provider and that work is a part of being made in his image. So here's the thing. Work is not the enemy of rest. It's not. It's not like work is bad and it's imposing itself on my life. That's how I feel sometimes. Um, Because I'm like the opposite of you workaholics, right? I'm a, I don't know what it is, a restaholic or I don't know. But that can't be a thing. That's not real. I just made that up. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding with you. But, right, so, so this work is not the enemy of rest. It's a celebra- rest. Real rest in God is a celebration of work. What did God do at creation? The seventh day of creation, he rested. Why? Because the work was done, and he enjoyed it, and he said it was good. And he sat back and said, how great am I? Look at this wonderful work. And he celebrated it. That feeling of a job well done, there is nothing like it it can be the little you could be scrubbing out the inside of your refrigerator and how silly is it that you feel enormously wonderful when you finish such a silly little task and it's done and you sit back and go and you just find reasons to open the fridge and enjoy the cleanliness therein right What is that? God made you to enjoy work. Work is not evil, it's not bad, that's not why we rest. We rest actually to honor the work we've done and say that was good, that feels good to produce, now I'm going to rest. We don't rest because work is bad, we rest because it's good. So the enemy of rest is not work, the enemy of rest is actually self-reliant hurriedness hurry. Hurry is anxious. It's like I'm late or, you know, I'm I'm rushing. I'm hurrying along from one task to another, from one thing to another because there's not enough time. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. Hurry, 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 hurry. Self-reliant hurry is the enemy of rest, not work. Rest is not the lack of something to do. Rest is not a nothing. It's a something. Something. Rest is active, not passive. Rest is a thing you do instead of work in celebration of work. Rest is itself something you must plan for with intent and purpose. That's a nod to you type A's, right? Well, I just don't have time to rest. You have time for the things you plan for, right? So think about why sometimes you're in a hurry. It's always things you had, most of the time, it's things you had control over. You didn't plan well enough. You didn't give yourself enough time or you didn't plan at all, right? Or you're doing too many things. You're feeling responsible, and you're being too self-reliant, like the world revolves around you. That's why some of you hate having downtime. That's because the feeling of I am in the center of my universe, and I am holding all the planets of my life together. I am the gravity of my world. And if I stop for a minute, everything's gonna go spinning off into space because gravity has ceased to exist in my world. And that is a lie from hell. And it's you, you are miserable inside, if that's how you feel. And it's why God says stop and be still and rest. Rest longer than you think you should. And when you do that, you're confronting the me-centered thing that you have in your heart instead rest and look back and go I've worked really hard this week or this month or whatever I've done I've done a lot my kids are fed they're not clean but they're fed I can't get my children to brush their teeth and teeth enough or eat their vegetables or whatever it is you but I've they they lived and they've grown and they know I love Jesus. So look what I did this week. Or I really was a blessing to the company I worked for and my coworkers. I actually did good work this week. And you enjoy it. You know, if you don't do that, you start hating your work. You notice that? If you don't enjoy the feeling of work well done, you actually start hating your work and despising it. And you start going, man, I need a better job. No, you don't. You just need to stop for a minute and enjoy it and look back on it. So I, wanna, I just want to submit to you this thought. If you have a hard time keeping a Sabbath, it doesn't have to be every week. I think it's a good idea to do it every week. No law. But if you have a hard time doing that, it's not because you're too busy. It's because you're too in control, too afraid that the world revolves around your ability to hold it all together. If you do not rest, and your good work will not be celebrated, and it will become drudgery. Trust me, even I mean, I just confess, even me. I'm doing the true holy work. That's what some of y'all think. Some of y'all think that I'm just, I am just always enraptured with how meaningful my work is. And just like, just like so, just I'm always just on the verge of tears. That it is so, my life is just filled with so much meaning, and there is no drudgery. That's what some of y'all think. Listen, if I don't stop to enjoy and celebrate my work, even this becomes drudgery. It's true. It's the way we're built. God made us to work this way. Even he does it. So some questions. Do you have intentional times of planned rest in your life? I don't mean that's like when suddenly you find like 30 minutes where there's nothing to do. That doesn't count. That's just God keeping you from burning yourself to a crisp. That's just God's mercy. Okay? Don't call that that 30 minutes Sabbath. I'm talking about intentional planned rest. How about a weekly downtime? Do you use your vacation time? Some of you need to repent for having years of vacation saved up. What is wrong with you? It is not a badge of honor to be like, I have a full year of vacation saved up. I've worked for 60 years, never took a day off. Repent. That's insanity. How are you still standing? How are you still standing? It's crazy. All right. I don't know if anybody, no one's ever told me they have a whole year, but you know what I mean. You know who I'm talking to. It's not a badge of honor, all right? It's evidence of not honoring the principle of Sabbath in your life. And be careful, because if God really has mercy on you, he will lay you off from that job so you'll actually have a forced Sabbath for way longer than you wanted to. Trust me, I've been there like eight times, (laughs) okay? So how often are you in a hurry? I really think hurry is a, a fantastic sign, signal to you, that you have have not honored Sabbath in your life, the principle of Sabbath? Are you planning for enough space to not hurry? Identify the things in your life that destroy rest in your home. We could go all day on that. What are the things in your home that destroy rest? What about the division of labor? If one of you is working harder than everybody else, that's a problem in my house continually. Because my wife. I can't outwork her. I tried once and I nearly collapsed. I didn't tell her. I said, I'm just not going to sit down today until Heather sits down. Big mistake. I thought, if I really apply myself, I can outwork her. I cannot. I can't do it. It was like 11 o'clock at night and I'm just dying. My feet hurt. I've been sweating for like 12 hours. And I'm, I'm just like limping around like maybe there's, Maybe she'll stop soon. And she's just fresh as she was when she rolled out of bed that morning. And finally I got angry at her I said, what are you doing? Just stop. I have to sit down, okay? She said, what? I thought you were just in this weird zone of productivity for the first time since I've known you. And you were just getting, we're getting all this stuff done. I'm just energized. Like you're insane. I'm going to bed. But but, you know, if if one of you is overworked in the home, doing too many things in the house, and one of you is not, that's a problem. What about training your kids to obey? Disobedient children will destroy rest in your home. Maybe you just need to focus on that for a while. Bedtimes for kids. Can I hear an amen? Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Earlier the better. But Dad, we just ate dinner. It's six thirty. You look tired. Time for bed. Dad, I'm trying to go pick up my friends. I just cut my driver's license. Go to bed at 6 30. <laughs> Date nights. Just sit in your backyard if you got to. Do something. Exercise. We'll just move on from that. <laughs> How about fewer family activities? You know, there's a kind of hurriedness that you create for yourself because you think you if you if your kids don't have all the experiences they're just going to somehow like lack something and really what they're going to lack is a lack of hurrying all the time <laughs> Running from this practice to that practice to this event to that event, running all over the place and just hurrying from here, point A to point B all the time, and you feel like, well, this, must, this is what good parents do, right? No, it's not. Maybe you just need to do less things and tell them no and listen to them cry and tell them it's good for them. It's okay. More time at home would be nice or more time not at home Depending on your personality. I like more time at home. My wife likes more time not at home. It's a constant negotiation. Maybe you need a career change. Do you work in a job where it is an expectation that you work 60, 70, 80 hours a week? That is ungodly. I'm not saying quit tomorrow. I'm just saying recognize that that's not good. And, and begin to think, like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I got to do to not do that to myself for 50 years? Because God has told me, I need to rest. I need a minute to enjoy my work and look at it and go, wow, that's pretty great what, it, what we did this week. And so either move to a different job or change careers, but start thinking about it because it's that serious, in my opinion. Look at your priorities. What is it they say? No one ever sat up late on their deathbed. If you get to have a deathbed. (laughs) And said, wow, I'm sure I'm glad I got those extra hours in at work. No one ever said that. Boy, that overtime was worth it. We think about the things that matter, and the things that matter take time, and they take time doing nothing. You can't make a friend without doing nothing with them for a lot of long time. You gotta sit there and do nothing and talk about nothing and feel like you're wasting time being shallow over long periods of time in order to do the things that matter. And the things that matter take rest. So see, this is what the Pharisees completely missed, isn't it? You feel the there's conviction in what I just told you right? It's, it's, it's convicting. It's even hard to do, but there's no law. There's just life and encouragement. Wow, I would like, wouldn't you like to have that in your life? Wouldn't you like to have this rhythm in your life where you could pause every now and then and enjoy the work you've done and look forward to the work that's coming and re- kind of regather your family, nourish yourselves in your relationships, take time to enjoy each other, and then go right back at it. And you think, that would be great to live that way. That's how Jesus teaches us, and the Pharisees had missed that completely. They just made it, well, if you take a day off every week, you're good. I can take a day off and spend a whole day slobbing around and feel worse at the end of the day than I did at the beginning. It's not about that. It's about what it's about. It's about what it means and what it points to. So I'd like to pray for us not just about rest. I think that's important. It's obviously important to Jesus. But I also just want to pray that we don't allow the little Pharisee inside of us to gain ground on any point, not just Sabbath. Because to me, that's the great danger, and it's always a danger for those of us who are doing well. You start to think, well, I figured it out, the following five things, and if we do these five things, then everybody's going to be happy and everything's going to be great. And that's a deception. So I want to pray for both of those things. Why don't we stand up together if you're present Present in the room, I should say. God, I pray that you would, um, as we look at the negative example of the Pharisees over and over and over again in the coming pages and chapters in Matthew, God, that we would not ever think that we're better than them, or that this kind of mistake is out of reach for us because... We're in 2021. But God, that we would see that the temptation is strong to apply the form but not the substance. God, that we would not be a church full of whitewashed tombs. God, that we would not seek to polish the outside but neglect the inside. God, I pray that also we... (laughs) We would actually want to be polished on the outside. That's the goal. The goal is actually to be holy. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives, into our hearts, into the inside of the casket to bring life to it. God, I pray to all the things that we do that are ritualized, all the good things, like attending worship service and singing songs together and reading our Bibles and prayer and all these different things that we do that are good and wonderful things that you've asked us to do. God, I pray that we would not ever let them become just a form, but God, that you would awaken our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill each one of us that we would be filled with fresh new life this morning, reinvigorated, God, you are our rest. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask you to come and bring rest to the weary as you promised last week. And God, I pray also for those of us who live in a constant state of hurriedness. God, that you would actually convict us, and get, but convict us with hope. <laughs> God, that we would see that there's a better way. God, that we would see that we would begin to hunger for that kind of rhythm of desperately hard work, grinding work, followed by moments of rest and celebration of work, because work is good and it's a gift from you. We were made to work and we were made to rest. So God, help us to find that rhythm in our lives, that we would be ruthless in the way that we confront hurry in our life. God, I pray that the next time we are hurrying to something, you would convict us and show us how we can change to avoid it. It would be people at peace. God, I pray for every household represented in this church, God, that it would be a place of peace. And everything that, that, that wrecks that peace would be dealt with, God, that it would be taken seriously, that we wouldn't just shrug our shoulders and say, this is just how it is. But, God, that we would begin to confront the things that rob us of peace in our homes. God, that it would be a place of Sabbath. That it would be a place where Sabbath can happen in the home because it's peaceful at rest. Not just not quiet, <laughs> but God, peace. God, that you would come and be mm-hmm. Lord over our households, Lord over our schedules, Lord over our priorities, Lord over our hearts and our provisions. We submit all of it to you right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.